where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. It's Terrifying Tuesday, and you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and not YouTube today. I don't think they'd like this today, uh, but usually on Wednesdays we'll do that. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And sometimes on BitChute when the file is small enough to upload. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. You're going to want the ones today. Finally, you can email a, that guy over there. At the, the at, at, at Joe at the road to concord.com. See, I'm not making it through this one. <laughs> I got <laughs> I stayed out of it. He's a little slow right now, <laughs> but he will eventually get around to emailing you back. Phones are on today 229 469 0335, but only for registered numbers. We only accept calls for regular known listeners. If you wish to call in, you must be a known class member who has participated in the chat no on a regular cuts. basis. Yep, no do-do-do-do-do-do-do's. You may then request phone access through an email. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them, Joe is an acquired taste. You'll definitely find that out today. He's really, he hasn't even had donuts today. No, I'm radiated though. This, this show is listener sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising. So we're not limited in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we do ask for your participation on a value for value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, the show description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. And yes, do you see what this is? <laughs> this is the real copy. He's got a fake one over there. I got the real one. I even have in the back of mine, I even have the whiz wheel. Oh my God, he's going to geek yeah. out today. <laughs> Charlie will be part of the show today. We're going to have fun today. This is in my wheelhouse today. Yes, too. we are in his wheelhouse today, more so than mine. Oh, let's see. Should I do this? Hey, yeah, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. <laughs> oh, he's all there yeah, today. Oh, yeah. I'm here today. Oh, hey, you soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Well, you know, Garth Brooks says we're all here because he ain't all there tonight. It's <laughs> a country music song, man. It's, it's... <laughs> where's the pocket protector charlie the tortoise is giving you a hard time all right folks hey man i was just thinking with all this talk about you know world war three is gonna start because of what's going on in israel it might be a good time to revisit our show from last year october 25th about the effects of thermonuclear warfare this is more of a threat than you might realize because it's more survivable than you might realize um in the united states for the most part, the authorities have lied to you about 
fighting a nuclear war or, or what the aftermath would be. Now, don't get me wrong. This would not be a cupcake walk. Um, it, it would change the world forever. Things would be ugly. And as you'll see later in the show, the world would be taken over by cannibals and really smart lemurs. You mean, you mean mad is not really... No, mutually really assured think. destruction does not work that way. Oh. That's what mad means, mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be mad if you're going to fight that war. Right. The problem is that the bear, meaning Russia, doesn't see things the same way we do. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder why. So before we even get going... I have revamped, and Charlie, you're free to pop in whenever you want today, because you know Charlie usually he, he used to actually teach this stuff to the Air Force in Europe, where they kind of needed to know it because they might go poof at any moment. Anyhow, if you will go to the roadtocodcore.com, I have stuck the old class notes. See, it says 10-25-2022. I've put it at the top of the page. I'll leave it there for a day or two, but um, I got to drop it back down to where it belongs. So if you want, bookmark it. I have updated this. There is a warning on here, and I am serious about this. This is, folks, this will be a scary show. And I'm going to share some things that I know about since I've known about since 1982. Charlie, probably, you know, same thing. It's all, it's all public knowledge. You're seldom told about it. In fact, most often you're lied to about this information. So if you're one of the ones who is faint of heart or easily upset about this, I'm serious. Please don't watch this show today. And I'm not kidding. I don't want to give you nightmares. But for those of you who do want to watch the show, this is a picture of the fake book I have, as Charlie calls it. And uh, down in right here where you see in the where I'm highlighting on the that's a PDF of this book. You can download it for free. Then there's a piece here on the current U.S. missile defense program and the ballistic missile PDF. There's lots of good information in here today, folks. And the show notes that we'll get to in a minute, things about the electromagnetic uh, EMP. There's a few other goodies in here, too. Um, and we will get to them in due course of the show today. Today's show will be, whoops, don't want to do that. Try to go over here. Today's show will be a little bit on the um, complicated side for all the bouncing around we're going to do on the screens, but that's for the benefit of those of you who are watching the chalkboard. So, without further ado, 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 I do, I do, I do. Shall we play a game? Hey, look, man, cool picture. Why is nuclear war always so pretty? Well, that comes from this. What the was this? Nineteen eighties. You know, war games, I think it was, you know. Yeah, that's old. Shall we play a game? <laughs> Incidentally, <laughs> what's old is new again with the advent of AI and X being literally Skynet in the sky. You know, with the internet being up there from was Skylink or whatever the heck. It, it, nobody's paying attention. To, Elon Musk is our hero on the right because he is giving it back to them. You might want to pay attention to that progressive little individual. He's probably up to no good because he's a progressive. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's amazing how that works. You know, as long as he's on my side, I like him. He's still a wolf in sheep's clothing, folks. Hasn't. Anyway, whole different class. Russia has told its citizens to find a fallout shelter as nuclear threat is imminent. What? Yeah, I checked this. This is actually real. This is not a joke. Uh, in recent days, Russia has been telling its citizens to get ready for nuclear war. Therefore, enter this guy. World War III countdown starts now. Special report with Mr. Tucker. 
yes, I know I'm being funny about all of this, aren't I? <laughs> Problem is, this isn't a joke, folks. That's why we're doing this class. It's entirely possible that we will see somebody get a little too cranky and get out of, get out of line and uh, start tossing these uh, nuclear weapons around. And once that happens, Katie, bar the door, Jack. It goes from there. So I want to start with a few pictures here. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, doesn't matter which is which here. They're all just a bunch of ruins, right? I think this one's actually Nagasaki. That's Hiroshima or Hiroshima, however you want to pronounce it. One of the things that most people, when they look at these pictures, they go, look how bad the nuclear weapon was. Yes, it was. But this was an airburst, meaning it was detonated in the air. I think it was about 8,000 feet above the ground. And it caused a fire. And a lot of what you see here, a lot of the damage you see here was caused by that fire that was started by the nuclear weapon. Because you have to remember that most of the houses in this area at the time were wooden and paper construction. Because this could very easily be a picture of Tokyo after the fire bombing. What most people don't realize is that we killed just as many people in one night in a fire bombing of Tokyo as we did in Nagasaki with a yeah. nuclear bomb. And, and people need to understand that these were very small nuclear devices. Yeah, this along the yeah. lines of 15 to 20 kilotons. Today would, would be a big tactical nuke. If I remember correctly, Nagasaki was in a valley. Both so of the, them. So the intense, the, the, the effects were intensified because of the mountains around them. Yes. Both these cities were preserved. They were not bombed during the bomb, so that when we hit them, we could demonstrate the effect of one plane with a bomb. Um, Nagasaki is in a valley. Hiroshima has mountains to uh, one whole half side of it. So the blast effect blew out toward the water. But that's Hiroshima today. Uh, wait a minute. No radiation, Joe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazingly. Um, not a problem, right? They live there. Well, we're not, not supposed to be able to live there forever. It's, it's gone, right? That's another picture of Hiroshima from the other side. That's a bustling city, folks, because of the airburst. Because it doesn't leave forever and ever radiation on the ground when it's an airburst. So there's Hiroshima on the left. And there on the right is a picture of something even more devastating than a nuclear weapon. It's called liberalism. I'm sorry, I couldn't help but throw that one in there. That's Detroit, right? You 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 turn it over to liberals for 50 years and you get Hiroshima after the nuclear bomb. Just let that one think, sink in, you know? Because it's it's the um, it's the guys on the right here that are telling you you can't fight a nuclear war. This is my fake book, The Effects of Nuclear War, Office of Technology Assessment, Congress of the United States. Uh, what was this put out? 79? Somewhere in there, early, early. Yeah, I believe 70. Late 60s, early. Mine. Mine was mid, mid to late 70s. So Charlie's got a the more expanded version, but you can buy this thing on Amazon for about $35. It's, it's uh, what year it was. Uh, 77. Okay, so 77 is when this originally comes out. And if you go to your show notes, roadtoconcord.com, and you look up the effects of nuclear warfare, you're going to find a link to this on Amazon for you. Or you can just go to Amazon and look it up. It's up to you. That's the copy that Charlie has right there. and uh, Or at least it's a version. <coughs> Whew, excuse me. Hopefully I got out of the way in time. Sneeze, cough, bud. This is Charlie's little whiz wheel dandy tree here. Uh, Charlie, whip out your whiz wheel, man. We're going we're gonna to whiz the wheel. 
I'll tell you what, let's just do this. Charlie can show it to you. It, this is just a cool little toy. He likes this. Yeah, this is this my, is Charlie toy. This is geek of, geek of, geekophology. Yes. What it did is it, it, you could turn it and use it whichever way you wanted, and it would tell you the blast zone or radius effects yeah, of everything. Yeah, it tells everything. you all the different things. You know? Nowadays, you can just go to the internet and find that. Right, yeah. It's... I found a few things, Charlie, that were really interesting in getting ready for this show. They actually have pages dedicated toward playing World War III, where you decide what targets to hit, and then the computer tells you what you did to everybody globally. And you can also show the effects on, of a nuclear weapon on your city. So there are several different pages like this out there. It's crazy, man. Um, people are taking this almost like it's a joke. Um, and I don't know. So let me bump Charlie back off of here. He might be trying to do something fancy on us there. I don't know. He's doing Charlie stuff in the background. There's his whiz wheel. You don't need that anymore. Now you got computer. But back when this came out, that's what you had. And it would help you calculate the effects of a weapon. Well, this is where we start getting serious about what we're talking about here today. The effects of a nuclear weapon. The energy released from a nuclear weapon comes in four major categories. The blast, which is 40 to 60% of the total energy. The thermal radiation, 30 to 50% of total energy. Thermal being heat. The ionized radiation, 5% total energy. And the residual radiation, the fallout, 5 to 10%. Got a little bit better graph that's a little easier to see and visualize and understand right here. <clears throat> but most of the energy is non-nuclear in effect. And 15% of it is the part everybody's scared about now that prompt immediate radiation you know gamma rays and x-rays that's in the flash of the uh, detonation and it's pretty much gone after that then you have the residual it's that 10 percent right there that everybody worries about yeah and, and for the most part that 10 percent is only if you have a surface or sometimes a subsurface burst okay. that there's a technicality with that whether it breaks through or not but now what do we mean by surface burst? If the fireball touches the ground, that's a surface burst. That's where your problem comes from because the fireball will then suck up all the dirt and dust and debris off the ground, irradiate it, and then that's where your fallout comes from. So surface and subsurface bursts. Subsurface means below the ground. Surface burst is used for hard targets. This is where we need to do a little... And if if he wants to, he can pop in here. You know, let me make my things go away in case Charlie wants to be on here. Let's stop right here and explain to you military usage, usages of nuclear weapons. For population centers and industrial targets where all I want to do is kill people and businesses, air bursts, baby. Because the air burst is where you get the most bang for the buck from a nuclear weapon. we got some charts that will show you that in a minute. But the air burst... If it's high enough in the air and the fireball doesn't touch the ground, you're not going to get a lot of fallout unless you detonate during a really rainy day. And e even then, you're not going to get tons of fallout, but it'll just come from the particles that were in the clouds getting irradiated. So essentially, whenever it rains again, that rain will be hot, radioactive. But if we have a nice, clear day with no clouds in the sky and we do an airburst, you're not going to have much of any fallout from that, which means no radioactive footprint. So you can move back in a day or two later and set up camp again. Yes, you can. 
And in a full-scale nuclear exchange, most cities are going to be hit by air bursts. A surface burst where you detonate it on the ground or subsurface below the ground, that's when you're trying to kill a hardened target like a missile silo or NORAD or maybe a military base where you want to make sure they don't come in two days later and set up camp again. So like Tyndall, where I live, will get hit probably with a surface burst. We're not going to tell you why. The bad guys already know why, but if you don't know why, we're not going to tell you that. But Charlie and I both know that Tyndall's going to get hit. <laughs> and we know why it's going to get hit, because we know what's there. But Tyndall will be hit, and that's bad news for Charlie. Um, Charlie's probably going to live inside of the oopsie range of a nuclear weapon. It's well, not bad news for me. <laughs> yeah, you just be gone. <laughs> I'll be happy. Well, shield. as long as you're killed immediately, you know, now if you've yes. got to melt from inside over the next yeah, 30 that days, well, that'll, yeah. that'll kind of suck. I hope that doesn't happen. Well, you know, but this is the, this is the thing about weapons is that whenever you hear somebody talking to you about what a nuclear weapon does, those are usually your scientists talking to you and your politicians explaining what the scientists have told them. It's very rarely a military guy talking to you. And most of the weapons, you know, the yields and everything that we're going to be talking about today, these are tactical nuclear weapons. Tactical meaning they're used by the guys fighting the actual battles, frontline troops, um, not city killers. Tactical nukes, um, you just use them to do with one weapon in one fire, you know, one round, boom, one bullet. You just use that to do what your artillery and bombers would have done over two or three days. You know, it's, it's just shocking on a hurry. And we have poor man's nukes now, and those are um, what you call MOABs, you know, the fuel air munitions. And to be honest with you, the fuel air munitions, um, when Desert Storm, we, we took so many prisoners in the first, when we breached the minefields for 2nd Marine Division, because they said that when the line charges went off for clearing the minefields, they thought we were nuking them. And that was only 1,000, 1,100 pounds of C4. And it, it made a pretty good impression on them. Well, a fuel air munition will make an even better impression on you. It, it'll, it'll level a small city. Big ones will. So that's what we call a poor man's nuke in the military. But tactical nuclear weapons can be fired from artillery shells or dropped from airplanes. And for the most part, they're used to destroy large you know, gatherings of troops, large concentrations of troops that are in unhardened areas. Doesn't do a whole lot against a tank unit like I was in. Unless you're at ground zero, a tank's just going to say, close the hatch and drive away. But if you're in anything other than an armored vehicle, you got a problem. Well, it just so happens that although we think they're getting their butts kicked in the Ukraine, you have to understand that most of Russia's army was designed to operate inside fighting vehicles for this reason. Russia's military is getting its head handed to it right now in the Ukraine because it's fighting a conventional war. It was designed to fight a nuclear chemical war. So this is why they're having trouble. They're fighting outside of the, their, the way they are designed to fight and the way they train to fight. If Russia ever starts fighting the way it is designed to fight in, in the Ukraine, it'll walk right through the Ukraine. It, it, all the way through it. Be done like a hot knife through butter, Jack. It'd be over with. Because Ukraine's not going to be able to, you're not going to nuke yourself. So this is part of what we're dealing with here. Now, why does any and all of this matter at all to us? Well, it's because of the effects of these weapons and how they actually work. 
This is a 200 kiloton airburst, 200,000 tons. The bomb Nagasaki, maybe one-tenth of this, maybe, probably less. So this is a 0.8 mile high airburst. Okay, so eh, 4,000 feet above the ground. The area that is absolutely going to be just totally devastated is going to be reaching out to about 2.4, two and a half miles, roughly two and a half miles from ground zero. So two and a half to let's just say four and a half miles, you're going to have major damage and a lot of fires. But now when you get beyond four and a half miles, the effect right there is going to pretty much be bad hurricane. And I'm not talking Michael. I'm talking about cat one, cat two hurricane, maybe. So unless the fires spread from this 200 kiloton, it's only four and a half miles. Say, well, Joe, that's bad enough. Yes and no. Like where I live in Panama City, Florida, the, the Bay County, dude, you could nuke my city and the rest of where I live. You could nuke my house right now with a 200 kiloton airburst, and most of my county wouldn't even know it happened. I mean, they'd see the flash in the sky, but four and a half miles in any direction for me is a bunch of nothing, relatively speaking. I mean, it sucks for the few people that live in this area, but relatively speaking, it's a bunch of nothing. Four and a half miles, when you're looking at places like America is not that big an area. Now, Europe, where we live on top of each other a lot more, yes, it's more devastating there. But you do realize I could drop this in the center of New York and the fringes of the city would still be there. In fact, when you do this on a great big urban area like that, we're not sure how that's going to affect these major cities. We don't know whether or not the blast effect will be reduced by the buildings or increased by overpressure. We don't know. We've never popped a nuke over a major city like this. No studies on that. But now this is a 500 kiloton surface burst, surface burst on the ground. Now it's two and a half times bigger than the one we just looked at. But look, before, for a 200 kiloton airburst, four and a half miles was the area you wanted to be. This one here, two and a half times bigger, explodes on the ground. It's only three and a half miles meaning that it's not as devastating when we hit the ground. Unless, of course, you're closer to ground zero. See, now that's two and a half miles that you you know, as opposed to what it was before. The the surface burst, folks, the, the, the point of this is surface burst is when you want to kill something dead, dead. Something that's hardened, meaning it's been armored a little bit. You know, concrete structures and stuff like that or the runways on an airbase. You want to kill it dead. But here... The overpressure, the area for the hurricane is only going to go out to about 5.8 miles. So two and a half times bigger, a little bit less destructive. Now, where the problem is going to be here is this is the one that gives you fallout. So the area that might be denied to you from radiation is going to be bigger. We'll get to that before the end of the day. Now, this is a one megaton airburst. Now we're getting into city killers. One million tons of TNT. Now... The totally, this is an airburst, 1.4 miles above the, above the earth, out to four and a half, four, about four miles. That's everybody's dead. It's all just gone. And out to seven and a half miles is just pretty much beat up. This, this, this kills New York city. This pretty much kills New York city because the area of, of moderate and light damage is going to go out to about 11 miles. So yeah, this would kill New York city, one megaton airburst. But now. I'd be able to move back through here in a couple of days. Start setting up a camp again. Now, this one is a five megaton surface burst. 
This is what you drop when you want to knock out a missile silo. So pretty much out to about eight miles, anything that's in that area is just done. Toast. And it's going to affect uh, all the way out to about 13 miles where it's going to be really, really bad. But now this is going to leave an absolute ton of fallout. This is a big boy here. It gets worse. We don't have them. The United States has decided we don't need these. But Russia has 25 megaton bombs. Those are NORAD killers. They're designed to go off under the, under the ground. They will make a crater out of the Rocky Mountains. And you will have fallout like you wouldn't believe from that. The footprint would be big. But still, the area that it, it, you're going to get at subsurface is going to detonate below the ground. It's still not going to leave a big enough crater that, like, this is why you wouldn't nuke a meteorite or an incoming meteor. Because it's a 25 megaton mountain killer designed to kill NORAD under the ground is not going to leave a big enough crater that you can guarantee you'd be able to turn that meteor coming at the earth into dust. All you're likely to do is turn it into a MERV, a whole bunch of smaller meteors that are still going to cause us problems that instead of hitting in one place on the earth, will hit the whole surface of the earth that day. So this is why you don't nuke meteors. It won't work. They're not as destructive as Hollywood makes you think they are. Are they? Yes, they are. Don't get me wrong. A five megaton bomb hitting the center of New York city, dude, five miles in all directions, just toast. I mean, just levels it, but a five, that's 5 million tons of TNT. That's a big mama hama. The biggest one the United States have uh, has, I think we have a few 10 megatonners left. The 10 mega to five and 10 megatons is where most Russian missiles start. There's a reason for that. Our missiles, we fire it at you from across the globe. We're going to land when we're aimed at Yankee Stadium, pitcher's mound, we're going to hit inside the stadium. Russia, unless they've gotten a lot better, if Russia aims at Yankee Stadium, they might hit New York City they're not as accurate. So we think. So they made them bigger to make sure they still got the target. Um, This is a problem for the United States. It actually helps Russia. That's the point I want you to understand here. Because our weapon yield is smaller, this actually helps the Russians. And the whole point of this is, the point of today's discussion is, don't start thinking that a nuclear war is so crazy nobody would do it. That's the problem here. That's American progressive thinking. The other people on the other side of this thing aren't Americans and they're not progressives. They think differently. And when you understand how these weapons work, you'll understand why they think differently and that they're not crazy. Now, this is the blast radius from a... We got coming on the board from Julie Larson. Never underestimate your enemy. Exactly, Julie. Exactly. Here's miles from ground zero. It's just a rough graft. 0.1 kiloton. Think suitcase nuke. That thing isn't even going to cover. The, the, the damage will be less than one mile in diameter. The area where you're, the, the no-go area, a couple hundred yards. A suitcase nuke, that's more of a fear weapon than anything else. A one kiloton. This is a small tactical nuclear weapon. This might be thrown around by an artillery shell. That thing's going to have a blast radius of, eh, what, two miles, two and a half miles? 
radius, diameter of four maybe, and that's the light damage. Really bad area is only gonna be about a half mile in diameter. And then we showed you earlier the 10 kiloton nuke. This is the average, you know, this, this is a good tactical nuclear weapon, air delivered you know, from an aircraft or from a heavy artillery piece. This thing here has a really bad area, blast radius of about one mile and in the effects about three and a half miles, like we covered earlier. Here's a graph that'll help you better understand this. This is a 10, 10 kiloton nuclear explosion. The red area, that's the no-go zone. That's where it's gonna be hot from for a while, you know. Buildings are completely destroyed. Radiation prevents entry into this area. Life-saving is not likely. You're, you just don't even go try to rescue anybody. Now the orange, that's moderate damage, significant building damage and rubble, downed utility poles, overturned automobiles, fires, many serious injuries. This is where you're gonna be able to save the most people. 10 kiloton, that area is from about 0.6 to one mile. So about from a half mile from the ground, from, from where the weapon went off to about one mile in diameter. Then out to about three miles, light damage. Windows are mostly broken, injuries requiring cell for outpatient care. What? A 10 kiloton nuclear weapon goes off and anybody more than a mile away is pretty much going to be able to take care of themselves? Yes. And this is the average size of, of an American nuke on our MIRVs, our multiple independently retargeted vehicles or reentry vehicles. This is the average size of an American nuke. This doesn't scare Russia, folks. This does not scare Russia. Not like it does you and I. Because, as I'll show you in a little bit, that book we were talking about, it takes 10 of our weapons to knock out Leningrad. It takes one Russian bomb to knock out Detroit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really cool, right? It's worse than that, Jim. Yeah, I know. Well, we're going to pop over to that in just a minute, but here's another one for you. This is just a ruffle, and this is exaggerated. This is a 10 kiloton nuclear weapon going off over the White House. And from what I understand here, this is looking like a surface burst. This is DC. So that area in the center there, that, that reddish purplish orange color, that, that's pretty much 100% casualty, casualty rate. Nobody's going there. It says out to three miles, massive dose of radiation with casualty rate. No, 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 folks. It's out to one mile. This, 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 is, what, this is why I tell you this is scary stuff. This is make you think that that 10 kiloton weapon is going to do more damage than it actually will. This is way overestimated here. But even still, even still, what the average person thinks here, this is still just DC. And it doesn't even get out to more than four and a half miles. No. Okay. So we killed DC and it says casualty rate 100%. You know, you'll kill every person. Well, I'm not so sure there are all that many humans living within that range of white house they might look like humans but i'm pretty sure they're all lizard people now at this point you know yeah i know i'm being facetious but time to go over here told you we're going to bounce around a little bit this is the book this is the pdf that you can download off of um off your show notes the road to concord.com right now it's posted to the top of the top of the page it's the second thing down right after the donut page 
they did a section in here. It says a nuclear weapon over Detroit or Leningrad, a tutorial on the effects of nuclear weapons. And boy, is this a detailed little, and this is, I think the cheat book, this is a 159 page version. I don't know if this is Charlie's, but they go through and they set it up and they explain to you how they're going to do their little analysis and experiment here. And you can read through this if you'd like, and they show you the effects of radiation, what it does to everybody. And we're going to go down through here, fallout. This is detailed folks. And this is from the seventies. Now, this is one Russian bomb, a one megaton surface burst on Detroit. And it shows you the fallout footprint, depending on which way the wind is blowing at that time. If you're not inside this little teardrop elongated area, eh, you're probably going to be okay. Yes, as in okay, physically. But now as we keep going, you know, here's what happens if the wind's blowing in a different direction that day. Pittsburgh might be in trouble. Cincinnati, et cetera, et cetera, from radiation. Not from the blast, from radiation. Now, that's a Russian weapon hit in Detroit. The similar, that's one missile from Russia. And as we go down through here, this is another weapon hitting Detroit. You just, like I said, you can go back and look through this if you want on your own time. I've made it downloadable. You can put it on your computer and go through this at your leisure. But now this is still Detroit. I'm trying to get to where they do Leningrad because this is one Russian missile. Then they're going to get to Leningrad. They're showing you what it looks like. And there we go. That's going to take the United States missile. We're going to have to send an entire missile with all 10 MIRVs at Leningrad to do the same damage. So what we're, what we're getting at here with, with this is that you've got a scientific evaluation from the office of technology, technology assessment in a report. This was a report to Congress folks. And now this is the other thing I wanted to show you real quick before we get back to my slideshow. This is not to be dismissed. This is from the Epoch Times. Nuclear war is thinkable. The West is miscalculating if it thinks it can safely push Putin to the brink. October 12th, 2022. This is commentary. In an address to his nation in September, Russian President Vladimir Putin said he would use nuclear weapons if Russian territorial integrity excuse me, integrity, we're threatened. This is not a bluff. Our independence and free will be def will be defended, I repeat, by all the systems available to us, he said. Most military authorities in the West all but dismiss Putin's threat, confident that they can corner Putin without risk of nuclear response. He knows very well that a nuclear war should never be fought and cannot be won, stated NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberger. No, he does not know this. Because he's right and the West is wrong. And I'll explain in a little bit as we go through today. If you know what's in here, and the Russians do, we published it for them. But they already knew that. If you know what the Russians know, a nuclear war is very, very fightable and winnable, especially for Russia. Now, if I'm Putin... And I'm looking at the American politicians who control our weapons. I know that it is very, very winnable. Because I can hit the United States and the United States is likely not to fight back. Say, so, well, it's better that we all die than the whole world. It suits our depopulation program anyway. I'm telling you that there is much more to consider here than just the weapons themselves and the effects of these weapons on the environment. 
you got to have the military and then you have to have the political considerations here. Cultural, political. The bear, which is what those of us in the, in the Cold War called Russia. And Putin still thinks like the bear. He's KGB from the Cold War, folks. His, his mindset was set when he was younger. The bear still thinks this way. Do not think Russia has, the old Cold War Russia is gone. He isn't. May not be as effective in his conventional weaponry, but his nukes have not gone anywhere. They're still there, and they should still be perfectly functional. Let's go back to this a little bit. This is an article. You can, you can get to all these articles. It says the conventional wisdoms don't stand up to scrutiny. The nuclear bombs that the United States dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, the only sources of real-world data involving the effects of radiation on nuclear bomb victims, provide compelling evidence that the devastation wrought by nuclear bombs is mostly limited to the target. As documented by the Atomic Bomb Disease Institute of Nagasaki University School of Medicine, most of the physical damage to property was confined to 1.2 miles from ground zero. As for the human toll, the bombs killed 97% of those who were within less than one mile of ground zero, 28% of those within 1.2 miles, and very few who were as much as 1.8 miles away. So if you're not, if you're if you're not within two miles of where the bomb goes off, no biggie for that size bomb. Now I got a little news flash for folks, as you're gonna see as we get going today. If you're a conservative, nuclear war is a good thing. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a harsh statement. But nuclear war rids this country of the cities of blue. Do the math. You know, the conservatives who live in flyover country, the farmland and the Bible Belt, the crazies that the blue think need to be eliminated. Nuclear war eliminates the crazies of the blue crazies. They'll be gone. We live for the most part, and we live in the areas where the food is made. So if you survive in the city, now you're at the mercy of the people in the red states. I just want you to be thinking about that there if you're a blue boy, blue person, because it's your people running this country, and their miscalculations can and will make things more likely that we're going to end up finding out how this will all play out if they keep being stupid. One of the things that I remember as a military guy, LBJ, they called it a rolling thunder. I'm just going to start bombing at the DMZ in Vietnam. And tomorrow I'm going to bomb one mile closer to Hanoi and the next day, one mile closer. And sooner or later, Ho Chi Minh will realize I'm going to get to Hanoi and that'd be really bad. So he'll surrender. Did it work? Nope. Even when we started bombing Hanoi, that didn't stop them either. Because they had the will to fight. We don't. Coming on the board from John Quest. Supposed Putin suffered cardiac arrest the other day. Did he? I don't know. I hadn't heard about that. But don't think that if you get rid of Putin, you get rid of the problem. <laughs> Alexander Dugan, anybody? <laughs> Who do you think's moving Putin around? <laughs> so back to our little story here. His army on the battlefield, they're not trained to deal with a radioactive nuclear battlefield. Uh, Russia is. They are trained to deal with that. And then there, there's some more talk in this thing here. So you can go through this article. And it talks about the U.S. military's analysis of Russia and its capabilities. 
we have always overestimated Russia's effects of their weapons in the, in the conventional age, you know, like their tanks are meaner and their planes are meaner. That was so that we can fund our golly gee whiz tanks and planes folks. If, as long as their nukes work, then they're going to work just as well as ours. And then this one here says nukes pretty please. This is a blog about nuclear power. Also debunking false claims about radiation and nuclear power. This is another very good article. If you're looking for, understanding what's going to happen in a nuclear war and what the effects are. This is in your show notes. It's documented. It'll help you. It's a good place to start. Russia's military doctrine calls a limited nuclear strike de-escalation. Here's why. Whoa, 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 what, 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 what? Russia's military doctrine, the way they train, what they've written, they think that a limited nuclear strike is de-escalation. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is from March 8th, 2022. It was originally published in 2014. This is as Russia was seizing the Crimea. It's being published up to date here and then to overroot Putin's recent threats. The game changer, Russia's de-escalation policy represented a re-emergence of nuclear weapons importance in defense strategy after a period when these weapons salience had decreased. When the Cold War ended, Russia and the United States suddenly had less reason to fear the other side would launch a surprise large-scale nuclear attack. Nuclear weapons, therefore, began to play primarily a political role in the two countries' security relationship. They became status symbols or insurance against unforeseen developments. They were an ultimate security guarantee, but were always in the background, something never needed. Then a very different security challenge began to loom large in the thinking of Russia's political leaders, military officers, and security experts. The challenge was U.S. conventional military power. This power was first displayed in its modern incarnation during the Gulf War in 1990-91. But the game changer was the Kosovo, uh, Kosovo conflict. In Yugoslavia, the United States utilized modern high-precision conventional weapons to produce highly tangible results with only limited collateral damage. These conventional weapon systems, unlike their nuclear counterparts, were highly usable. And this goes on to explain to us that what results is Russia goes, oh my God, we can't fight a conventional war with the Americans. So let's use nukes. And that de-escalates the war because we don't get into a bigger and bigger conventional war. That's their thinking. This is what happens. This article here is very worth reading. It tells you how the enemy thinks or potential enemy in this case. We don't pay attention to any of this because you know nuclear war can't be fought. Oh, let me bump that off of there. So because a nuclear war cannot be fought, possibly fought, that's all craziness. We don't have to worry about it. Well, what happens when the other side not only worries about it, but the other side is planning for it, especially since the other side knows about a few other things that none of us want to ever talk about in this country. Demonstration of rapidly shrinking dangerous fallout zones. This is just a picture. That purple area is the radiation in the fallout zone. Dark purple is really bad, bad. Lighter purple is bad, but not all that bad, depending on. And then down here, the red, red, orange, and yellow is the blast effect zone. We've already seen that a little bit in our slideshow. This is the part that you need to pay attention to. Near as I can assume, this is an airburst from a 10 kiloton. We're still talking about our, our, our little friend here, the 10 kiloton nuclear weapon, mostly a tactical weapon or a unit. The reason we're using 10 kiloton that's the average size, you know, that's the size of the average American Merv. This is the weapon we would toss at a Russian city. And why is this important? Because this thing isn't all that scary when you know what you're looking at. If 
you're willing to sacrifice your citizens to win the war, which Russia will, as we're seeing them do in Ukraine right now. They don't care about people. They got plenty of them. That's how they fought World War II. So the dangerous fallout zone, the DFZ, that's the dark purple. And this down here on the left, that's one to three hours after the weapon goes off. In the center, that's six hours after the weapon goes off. The hot zone, that's the lighter purple. And then on the right, 48 hours after the weapon goes off. Notice that the dark purple area shrinks quickly, which is exactly what we just read about. Hiroshima was largely limited to the area where the weapon goes off. And then we see down there, we see our yellow and orange, and you can't even see the red area of the detonation and everything. After one week, the hot zone will be the size of the maximum extent of the DFZ, the, the dangerous fallout zone. Maybe 10 to 20 miles, maybe, maybe. For the most part, after one week, I can go through here and fight a war. Now, what you don't understand either right now, just from looking at this picture, you need more information if you don't already know it. That purple area there, 48 hours later, if I'm in shielded vehicles like a tank or an infantry fighting vehicle, I can go fight in that for up to a day and I'll be okay. My troops will live. They won't even really get sick because the radiation levels have shrunk that much. This is why we use tactical nukes. If you're building up for an invasion, I can nuke you. And two days later, I can move through that area with my troops. So I kill a whole bunch of you in a hurry because you're all tight in a nice nail little ball getting ready to attack. And then I can come through and take your land. And in a week or two from now, I can even move people back in there and they can start farming again. Yes. Yes. Farming again. This is just to give you an idea of the ionized radiation, immediate transit effects, et cetera, et cetera. So radiation lethal on a one kiloton out to about 50% lethality out to about 800 meters, well, a little over 20, 2,400 feet, 25, 2,600 feet on a uh, 1,000 kiloton, which is megatonner. That's only 3,200 meters. That's three kilometers, 3.2 kilometers, one mile and a half. The blast casualties, one kiloton, 140 meters. So radiation is more of a problem than the blast. And on the one megaton, 3,100 meters. So that's roughly equal. Thermal radiation from the flash, the heat, because that'll get you too. Well, that's kind of in the middle between the blast and the radiation on the one kiloton. But now that one's a problem for your megatonner. So if you're out in the open when that thing goes off, that's not going to be a good day for you. This is a diagram of what radiation levels you can you can this is where charlie might be able to help us a little bit i don't know if he wants to pop in here but um you were talking about um the different ways we measure this i think this is in uh, this is in sieverts sieverts that's a new modern measurement how does that compare to a rad well complicated well, it, okay it, this gets complicated rads are Let's actually not... a biological dose so you have a a a biological factor you have to equate in there so that gets complicated yeah but the rad's more useful then it is but uh for generally well you got some older instruments that may actually calculate it but most of these are just measuring the actual radiation levels 
Um, but for for purposes here that we're looking at, you know, green, you ain't, ain't no gonna problem. really bother you. Yellow, you're eh, gonna get a little sick. A little bit sick. When you get into the purple, then you yeah, the orange, you're gonna need it, medical attention. The it, red, yeah, you're yeah. dead. Jack. The red, you're dead. Yeah, it's just how long before it, you're it's, dead. It's how long. Yeah, black is you know, immediate. <clears throat> now this value. is this is shielding for any of you who want to build your bunker. This is what you were talking about earlier, uh, Charlie. Yeah. So alpha rays, pretty much easy to stop. Easy to stop, but with that said, if you're in a in an area that has alpha radiation, you got to be real careful that you don't ingest that stuff because that's even more deadly if it's ingested. Yes, and that's the stuff that, depending on how it happens, that's what clings to your food. That's why you don't want to be yes. drinking the milk or eating the food from that area right. afterwards. Yes. Beta then, radiation, not a huge deal, although you want to cover protected skin. Um, gamma and x-rays. Gamma and x-ray, yeah, that's where you got problems. In, in neutron, we weren't going to get into that because... That, Neutrons just break you, you up. You can You can hardly stop that stuff. Folks, this is going to sound really creepy, but literally the way you die from radiation poisoning is it melts you from inside because it disrupts the molecular... It disrupts your cells at the molecular level. They just dissolve. It it breaks them up into, you know, from your cell goes down into molecules of protons, electrons, and neutrons. And, and you know, they just start floating around. So this is a disruptor ray from Star Wars. <laughs> right. it, it just melts you from the inside. Li pretty much literally. And here's another one that I grabbed for you. You can find all of this stuff. Searches on the internet. I, I use DuckDuckGo. <laughs> Just look for pictures of the effects of nuclear radiation. You've got, you'll find all sorts of this stuff. But notice the 350 per lifetime or whatever, and then 400 per hour, et cetera. This is the exposure levels uses a criteria for relocating residents at Chernobyl. So if you were less than that, they didn't move you. And the, the, the 250, you know, severs or whatever the heck that is, uh, uh, an hour, whatever. This is the allowable short-term dose for workers controlling the 2011 Fukushima incident. Well, folks, that's that's in the yellow. We're, we can deal with that. The allowable short-term dose for emergency work is taking care of life-saving actions is 500. It's a 700 before you start having vomiting and hair loss within two to three weeks. And then at 1,000, that causes radiation sickness and nausea, but not necessarily death. Likely to cause fatal cancers many years later in about five, you know, five out of every hundred persons. It's the 2200 dose. That's where it starts getting really bad. But folks, you got to be close to the weapon to get this type of dosage, or you got to hang out intentionally within the area for a long time. You got to be trying to get yourself killed. Basically what it's coming down to. And then let me bump myself out of here. This is some more like a one MSV, you know, single chest X-ray. Um, yearly limit for nuclear workers is 20. Uh, level at which higher risks of cancer is 100. Um, you know, and then the higherly hour of radiation from Fukushima that was 400. A thousand is where five percent higher chance of case. It, 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 this stuff is not. It's all a relative thing. I'm talking to you about. It is dangerous and it isn't. It depends on where you're at in relation to the weapon, to where it goes off. The point here for for me being trained in this when I was in the service and and on learning about the the effects and the, the medical effects and the science behind it. The big deal here is a case of 
you can survive and fight in this environment. And if I can fight in it, you can live in it. And we've been told in the West pretty much it's instant death. Everybody dies. Russia knows better. Russia knows that's not the case. So I think this is the point where what we're going to do is we're going to stop and we'll wrap up where we're at. When we come back, I want to show you the effects of a, of a major exchange between Russia and America. And then I'm going to really start showing you why Russia is not afraid to nuke us and get into a nuclear exchange with us, especially if they think they can keep it limited. And politically, they have very good reason to think that they can keep it limited. But first of all, before we do that, we're going to pop Charlie in here. Charlie, hop on your microphone there, brother. Is there anything you want to add to this from your training and your experience that we haven't covered or something you might want to flush out? I think we've got it pretty good. I mean, unless you are, unless you're taken out by the blast, because um, that's the biggest. Or you get stupid problem. and insistent hanging around in the radiation right, zone. Right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, radiation, uh, if you are, well, time, distance, shielding. That's the three friends you have in nuclear fallout. Time is the length of time because basically two weeks uh, and you'll be able to live outside without much problem unless you're in a really, really hot area. Uh, distance, how far you are from the actual fallout and shielding. If, if you have like, you know, I've got a brick house, um, you know, I'm going to be pretty good that the biggest problem I'm going to have is radiation. If, if I get a lot of fallout on my roof, um, that's going to be an issue. Although I do have a metal roof, which will help some, but, uh, you know, as far as, you know, stuff from the sides, you know, I'm good because of the, the uh, brick. brick and such. So, uh, those are things, you know, that's why they have underground bunkers and while all your fallout shelters were in basements of buildings and things like that. Yeah. Grounds are pretty shielding. good shielding too. Yeah. So, but anyway, so, yep. all right, then, um, tell you what folks, let's take the break a little early today. Give you six minutes, run to the bathroom and everything. When you come back, this is the really scary part. When you come back, this is why, what I'm going to show you next is why Russia's not going to be as scared of fighting this war as our politicians are. Nope. Our politicians realize that they have painted us into an area where if Russia starts really, really saying, Hey, you know what? We're going to toast you. We may have to surrender without firing a shot. Yes. Yes. I'm not kidding. I'll show you why. See you in six.
minute there. I thought we were nuked during the break. So we've we've got a question on the board. Road Dog says, um, the question I have is, are the fallout shelters up to par in today's standards? The answer to that one was, what fallout shelters? Uh, now, I know as a fact, I looked this up, Russia has been cleaning theirs out and getting them ready again, getting them back up to speed and getting ready to use them again. From what I understand, at a fairly prodigious rate, they're, they're putting a little money into it, a little work. We? <laughs> Our politicians have them. Don't worry. Don't yeah. worry. The politicians are safe. Yeah, we abandoned that program probably, yeah. shoot, that's probably been 30 or more years you ago. See, it's real easy, folks. If I don't have to protect you from a nuclear war because you can't possibly fight one, I don't have to spend that money on protecting the population. I can take more of it and give it to myself and my buddies in the government and make myself rich. You know, don't do the things you're supposed to do. Do the things you want to do. Anyhow. Duck and cover. Yeah. Duck and cover. <laughs> Let's start talking about why Russia might not be afraid of fighting a war. I got this from a page on, they were, now, all of these slides I'm about to show you are highly suppositional. A lot of guesswork going in here. But this is possible exchange, and this one's from uh, 2012, possible nuclear exchange. Now, this is back right before Crimea started when they were saber-rattling then. So this is a nuclear exchange between Russia and the United States and everybody else that gets involved. This is what proves that cannibals and highly intelligent lemurs were going to run the world. Huh? Well, yeah, you see that area there above Australia, Papua New Guinea? We still have cannibals running around that part of the world, for real, in real life. Notice they don't get nuked. So no radiation. They'll be okay. And then you see Madagascar? Well, well Madagascar is where all the lemurs live from, you know, from the Disney movie or whatever Pixar movie, Madagascar. Well, look, the, the one little area in South Africa is going to leave some radiation there. So the lemurs are all going to become highly intelligent and will be taken over the world by cannibals and intelligent lemurs. Yeah, I know. It's not a joke. Do you notice the area in Russia that doesn't get nuked? Well, Joe, that's most of Russia. Exactly. Now, there are a few places on the Pacific coast of Russia that would get hit that aren't in this picture. They're nuclear submarine bases. But what about the Russian ICBM silos? Oh, uh, They're all right. mobile. They we don't, don't know where to that. nuke. They they use mobiles. Yeah, they use mobiles. Oh, and by the way, that, that area of the United States where it shows nothing, that's where all our nuclear silos are. So I don't know why they didn't. Yeah, I, I don't understand so that I don't either. Understand this that is either. probably but a anyway, population. This, this, is just, this is a fun slide to talk about. Right. But now the idea of Russia not getting nuked, though, that's real. Because most of that is just tundra for the most part. But the Ural Mountains is just to the right of that one little red area where Moscow is. That's where most of their factories were moved during World War II. Uh, that's where the bulk of their population is, there and on the Far East. The, the problem here, folks, is this is not all that crazy of a picture. Russia's population is not going to suffer as bad as ours will. Now, here's another thing Russia has that we don't. This is the ballistic missile defense system. Yeah, it's a really cool thing, you know, that NATO's supposed to be developing and Norway and all. We're all going to join into this. This is how it works. Now, there's one little problem here. Well, like, well, per, first of all, like what Charlie was saying, you know, where the warhead and decoys come out and then you intercept it, that's game over anyhow, because if just one of those things goes off, you get to something else we'll talk about in a minute. But 
this is the extent of the United States's ballistic missiles defense system. In reality, we don't have one. Folks, this is Star Wars right here. It was very doable. Now, we poo-pooed it when it was Reagan pushing it, but we've been investigating it ever since. And if you want to, you go to um, your show notes and you'll find a PDF you can download, the Ballistic Missile Defense System. And it'll explain to you everything that they're doing and how it works and testing and all of that right there. That's an official U.S. government document right there. Exactly how it doesn't work. Now, we do have a ballistic limited, limited from the Aegis class cruisers. So if I post one of those off the coast of DC and one off the coast of New York and one off the coast of LA, I might be able to do some limited protection. The problem is that cruiser is designed to protect the aircraft carriers from saturation attacks. They will not protect your city. They are staying with the carrier. And actually, that's not where you want to post those. You want to post those off the uh, shores of Russia because those are boost descent. No. The system in that ship right there is not designed to attack the missile as it launches. It's designed to attack it incoming. It won't get the outgoing missile very well. Oops. The SM3 is not fast enough to catch it. Then that's, that, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. The only thing that can do is intercept the incoming warhead. And now if the incoming warhead has stealth technology on it, you're screwed. Because once that thing merves, you're screwed. Exactly. <laughs> so this system, folks, does not protect us a whole lot. Now, this one, on the other hand, <laughs> these are pictures of Russia's actual anti-ballistic missile defense systems, the, the older ones that were allowed under the START treaties and SALT treaties. And in the bottom right-hand corner, that's one of their missiles. These are satellite pictures. Some of these are actually from U.S. spy satellites, real ones. That is a land-based system around Moscow designed to intercept our incoming missiles. These, Russia's smart about this part. This is a mobile anti-ballistic missile system. They can move these around wherever they want. If you have those six vehicles right there, you can defend any little area you want against our nukes, at least our ballistic missiles. And that right there is an official story of how it works. That's the system that they've designed. We don't have anything like that. Nothing. So this can be moved anywhere they want it to protect the areas. This is another reason they're not as scared. They have the potential to shoot down some of our incoming warheads. And remember, ours are smaller, 10 kilotons. We got to put five or six or seven on a target. But if they can just intercept two or three of them, part of that target's going to survive. We've got no way to intercept theirs. None. These are the potential targets in the United States. Now, what Charlie was telling you about those little areas up there in the central United States, all the little black dots, those are missile silos. And then the other black dots scattered around, those are bomber bases where you could potentially put strategic or nuclear weapons. And then if you live where I live, you see down in Florida, down on the right-hand side there, you'll see, let me blow this one up just a little bit for you. All right, I'll take myself out of there. Tallahassee is going to be a target. I live Tyndall Air Force Base, Bay County, to the to the southwest, to the lower left of uh, Tallahassee in Florida with a triangle with a red dot. That one to the lower left of it, that's Tyndall Air Force Base. It's a target. So all these other cool, cute little targets 
Um, this is potential places for being nuked. Go boom. And this is the potential fallout zones from a full-scale nuclear attack. All those little red dots, you're toast, you're gone. That dark brown area, you're probably gone too. That medium, whatever color brown area, eh, you're in trouble. A lot of trouble. Blue, eh, yellow, might be okay. That's the same picture here, but this one was fuzzy. It gives you the, you know, high, very high, high, medium, low danger areas. I wasn't able to find a better picture of this. So, you know, that area there. This is a different picture. It's the same type of thing here. Um, let's see if I can't blow that up for you. A little bit. Red, major wildfires and stuff like that. Uh, severe fallout in purple. Medium fallout in blue, the greenish colors, minor fallout, and the yellowish whatever color, minimal fallout. So where I live, eh, minor or medium, depending on where I'm at, depending on which way the wind's blowing. I'm, I'm not in the bestest area in the world, but I'm not in the worstest. But a good part of our audience is in occupied uh, Georgia. Yeah, occupied because, you know, you people have gone back crap crazy up there in Atlanta. But um, y'all are going to do okay. Now, if you're up in the, in, in the, I know of several of our listeners, especially podcast listeners that are up there in the Northeast, ah, the quarterback is toast and y'all know it. So, you know, just quote a little bit of a uh, lethal weapon there. Now, this is the area where you're going to have to shelter and for how long you're going to have to shelter. What? Well, yeah, yeah, man. After all of that, you know, the nuclear bombs go boom. This is the area you want to be in the shelter. So where I live, I need to be in the shelter somewhere between two days and two weeks. And after that, I can go out and run around like I did before, for the most part, just as long as I stay away from ground zero. Georgia, unfortunately, depending on how the wind is blowing, you're going to survive the initial exchange, but you're still going to want to get sheltered up for a little bit. Now, this is all suppositional, depends on how the wind is blowing, but it's based off of United States Defense Department data. Oregon. Oregon and Northern California. Somehow or another, the wackos are going to survive. San Antonio, Texas, probably get nuked, but, you know, anyway, I don't understand that, but okay. But the idea is that if you survive the first week or two, you're going to be okay. Here's another picture. It's suppositional again, but... The safer areas are in blue, and the bad areas are in red. So as long as you're not in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii is a good place to live. Parts of Alaska. See, I'm still in an area where I'm at in the north northwest part of Florida. I'm, I'm real close to Eglin and Pensacola and Tyndall, so eh, I'm iffy. It'll depend on which way the wind is blowing that day for the footprint and everything. But otherwise, the green... And Bible Belt, see, I told you, every place that's blue, we got to get rid of them. And then the green Bible Belt and parts of the heartland are going to survive. So this is kind of good for conservatives. Now let's talk about the really scary part. This is where we might get Charlie jumping in and out from time to time. This is also where you really don't want to talk to me without the filters on my mouth, because this is actually very easy to do right here, folks. This is a dirty bomb. And it's really not a nuclear weapon at all. And it's very easy to make. What is a dirty bomb? A dirty bomb is a mix of explosives such as dynamite and a radioactive powder or pellets. 
It is also known as a radiological dispersion device, an RDD. It cannot create an atomic blast. It doesn't really even create um, a fallout footprint. What it does is covers an area with radioactive contaminations. There, this, this area here, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how you do this. Okay, let me, let me give you this example because this one's fairly safe. If I, you know, the little automatic door openers that you sometimes see above your, the, the stores, they got the little device of, above the automatic door opener. I don't know if it's still the case nowadays. They have new technology, but once upon a time, they used cesium in those things, radioactive material, and it helped with how they made the device work. So if I were to run around all town, you know, put a little hoodie mask over my face and run around with a hammer and knocked off about 30 or 40 of those things and put them in my bag and ran off real quick before anybody could arrest me. Let's just make sure. Let's make sure I, I, I steal a hundred of them. Automatic door openers, a hundred of them. And I stick them in a barrel with um, some gasoline and I light it on fire. I just created a dirty bomb. What? Yeah, the cesium is going to get in the smoke. It's going to burn up. It's going to get in the smoke. And wherever the smoke footprint goes, the cesium is going to fall out. And if you come through there with a with a radioactive Geiger counter, you're going to set it off. And people are going to be like, oh, my God, radiation. Yep. You have cesium fall out. Yes. Now, it's not going to harm you really bad. I mean, you, you'd have to eat a ton of this stuff to really kill you. It will set off a Geiger counter. Yeah. You know what was really fun once? Hmm. Our guys got some new radiation instruments. And they were playing with them and stuff. And I had to go in for a bone density scan <laughs> with uh, medical radiation, you know, that they put in me. You, you were irradiated? I was irradiated. I walked in that room and they were freaking out because those meters were going It all, all depends the on how they're calibrated and what type of radiation you're looking yeah. for. But what I've just explained to you is a really cheap area denial weapon yeah. until everybody figures out that it's cesium. Yes. But all they're gonna, all I have to do is set that off, start the fire, and then call in the bomb threat. Hey, I've just set off a dirty bomb and blah blah blah. They'll bring out their Geiger counters, and I've achieved what I'm after: public panic. Yes, this will cause public panic, and for the hazmat cleanup team, they'll be really pissed off. Yes, because <laughs> I have to clean it up, yes, even though it really up. isn't all the problem. And you got to get it to the acceptable standards so that you know. Da, now. Da, 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 da. If I really want to make this a problem, there are things in your town right here, right now, that if I, if, and I'm this one, I won't tell you where to go, but I, I'm aware of it. Like, like Charlie told you, I'm a scary dude when you start wargaming with me and you start seeing how I think. There's a reason I think this way, but there are things in your, in your town that I, in one night, I could collect enough actual radiation, dangerous radiating material that if I take it and pulverize it and turn it into a powder and stick it back in my burn barrel and set the burn barrel off. Now I've created a dirty bomb that you're going to, you're not going to be able to live there for a while. And it's it, the radioactive material I need is all over your city. It's everywhere. If you know where to go to find it and you got to have enough of it, but it's not hard to get. I could do it in one night. Yes. I'd be breaking the law to do it. I got to break into these places to get what I'm after but I could do it. And it was actually in a NCIS episode one time. And I didn't learn it from there. I already knew about this, but there was an NCIS episode in which they explained exactly how to make this type of a dirty bomb this way. So it's known 
And this would be a problem. That type of dirty bomb would be a problem. And, and what it would be is scare factor, but also a case of area denial. Now, this is what a dirty bomb the cheap way shows panic. This, this would be, um, I think this is London, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But it would be just to contaminate that area so you couldn't use it. And it would cause cancer deaths over time. But the dirty bomb itself going off, I mean, I could use explosives to spread it. Fire is better if you use the right type of, um, right type of radioactive substance because it bonds itself to the smoke and then wherever the smoke goes. If I use detonation, then it only goes where the dust falls. It'd be a higher concentration, but fire is a bigger footprint. All depends on what you're after. All depends on what you're after, why you're using it that way. Here's the part that is really scares me. This is the one that we all need to be paying attention to, but none of us will, at least none of our politicians. Let me jump over here for you. You go to your show notes. And what you're going to find is two articles here on electromagnetic pulse EMP attack, a preventable homeland security catastrophe. Yes, it's preventable. We will. We could have done this for less money than we've spent in the Ukraine, and we won't. We won't do it. We refuse. We are purposely. Our government is purposely leaving us vulnerable. And there's another one: EMP attack. What the U.S. must do now, folks. Let me explain something to you we won't do this because we're, you know, nobody's going to attack folks. A really good solar storm will do this to us. If you get a yeah, really good yeah, magnetic a, solar storm, the right a, flare from the sun, you get a big uh, coronal ejection with the solar flare. Yep. It, yep. And it has done this thing. in the past. And it has. Yes. Yes, it has. Scarlet caused fires, power blackouts. It's done all sorts of nasty stuff. Now, I've also got something in here for you. This one's a little cheeky. I like it. It's EMP. Yeah, you know me. You know, naughty by nuke. With our, our apologies to naughty by nature. Um, but this is actually a fairly decent uh, little clip. You'll find it in your show notes. It's a slideshow. And he explains EMP to you. And uh, he actually explains something very, very true. Most people, even scientists, don't really know for sure the full effects of an EMP, electromagnetic pulse. It's a, it's an after effect. It's part of an after effect of a nuclear weapon. It happens in most nuclear detonations, almost all of them. Some of the nuclear detonations can be made to enhance the EMP. But now this has happened before in the past, not just from solar flares. One of the nuclear tests in, um, in the 60s or 70s, I think it was the 60s, we hit Hawaii with an EMP by accident. We caused a lot of havoc and damage. And in your show notes, you'll find a video that goes over that, and a video clip that covers that incident for you. But the slideshow goes over it and explains it too. So the, the problem is we don't know the full effect of an EMP. We know it'll be bad. That we do know. How bad, we're not sure. So types of EMP. There's an E1, E2, and an E3 pulse. Let's read from the bottom up. E3 pulse. It's a much slower pulse caused by the Earth's magnetic field being pushed out of the way by the nuclear explosion or a solar storm, followed by the field being restored to its natural place. This process can produce geomagnetically induced currents in long electromagnetical conductors like power lines, which can damage or destroy power line transformers. So the long lines help pick up the long wave and they amplify it, not just transformers. But in the 1800s, we set fires all over the world because of the telegraph poles. We had a, a solar flare 
and they had one of these E3 pulses hit the earth and a lot of places where the telegraph machines were at on the, the, along the lines of the railroads, they caught fire because it blew everything out and sparked everything out and it caught fires. And this has done this before. It's knocked out power grids across the world. You can defend against this. We won't spend the money to fix that. An E2 pulse, many similarities to the pulse produced by lightning, least dangerous type of EMP because of the widespread use of lightning protection. See, we protect from it. It's not much, it, Faraday cages would help with a lot of this in certain places. We won't do any of this. It's relatively affordable. Why do our politicians leave us vulnerable? I have no idea. You answer that for yourself. The E1 pulse, this is the one we're focused on. This is the one we're worried about. It's very fast component of a nuclear EMP. It is too fast for ordinary lightning protectors or and it destroys computers and communications equipment. The effects of an E2 pulse, this is the lightning. It's very similar to the electromagnetic pulse from lightning, whatever. This came from a slideshow I found online. You can go look it up. So it's because of the widespread use of lightning protection technology, E2 probably is the least dangerous type of EMP. Effect would be similar to thousands of lightning strikes hitting power lines simultaneously. The damage from the E1 pulse immediately, uh, previously would partially degrade lightning protection. This is the one. I saved this for last. E1 pulse travels at 90% of the speed of light. Peaks after 5 to 10 nanoseconds over a 1 microsecond period. For those of you that you know don't do math, don't worry about this. The point here is normal circuit breakers don't work that fast. So your amplitude is up to 50,000 volt meters. Circuit boards are 1 million times more sensitive than vacuum tubes. And it'll cause integrated circuits connected to cables to overheat and give false readings, be damaged and or destroyed. Pop myself out of here. Pop the tech geek into here. He's going to hit his microphone real quick. So basically what we're saying is if you're using the old vacuum tubes and somebody hits us with an EMP attack, there's a good chance your equipment's going to survive, yes? It will survive. But if you're using solid-state electronics? You're screwed. Yes, which is one of the reasons that the United States Navy uses EMP weapons, directed energy attack EMP weapons against incoming missiles. Because if they manage to hit it with that cone of EMP, the missile goes and falls out of the sky. Yep. Because it's no longer thinking. This is not a joke, folks. This will crash your electric system. And it's a hard crash. You don't reboot it in a couple of minutes. No. All the hardware is dead. And integrated circuits don't even have to be powered on for this thing to affect them. Yep. In now, many cases, anyway. There is a reason that I have a Kindle where I've put all my survivalist books on that Kindle. And it sits in a lead-lined box. I mean, it's, it's like a quarter-inch lead-lined box. I've put it in the little box and I've lined it. Why would I do that, Charlie? It's not a guarantee, but why did I do that? Well, that'll that'll help. Um, it would help if your lead was grounded too. But well, it does sit inside the shop. Yeah. And the shop is not in a Faraday cage, but the electrical wiring in the shop, the way we've wired it, kind of actually yeah. pretty much does so work it, as a Faraday it, cage. It, it's gonna it's gonna definitely it's gonna help. help. Yeah. There's a good, there's a better than average chance that that device will survive. That, that'll probably survive, but then how are you going to charge it afterward? That's another story for another day. Oh, no, no, no. I don't have a problem with that. I know how to take my stator for my lawnmower, which will survive, and turn it into a power generator. Okay. And how are you going to regulate the voltage? But anyway, we, that's another. It can all be done. 
I know the scary. physics of that. <laughs> that <laughs> part, if we ever have one of these attacks, I suddenly become one of those people who is in high demand. Remember that engineering need, background? I did pass is, my EMAG. You need a voltage regulating vacuum tube. Yep, that'll work too. That'll but there are other ways to regulate voltage. Yeah, you can are, do this. And there will be things that certain things that survive in older, you know, like all I need is a vehicle that was built before the 1990s. They are, they do still exist with a carburetor. And no, 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 no. I want its alternator. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That too. That that's not a solid state alternator on that uh, voltage regulator on that thing. They're using analog technology right there. So all I need is its alternator and I'm good to go. So anyhow, for that part, that's a different class, but the tortoise has asked us to talk about that stuff, but yeah. EMPs, EMP's bad juju. Yes? Yeah, oh yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes, now, why would we yes. want to worry about an EMP attack against the United States? Uh cuz we're screwed. Yeah. Not. Folks, here's the stuff. This is just a picture of what's what's um vul- vulnerable to an EMP. Basically anything that we have today using solid state technology. But here's the problem. Yeah. Here, it, here here's where Here's it, where it gets bad. Yeah. It's going to take out your oil and gas. So your energy is going down. Your electric grid is going to crash. Your electric grid is going to crash hard. Yep. It's going to take out your communications. Communications. Yep. You'll lose transportation over this too because most of your vehicles aren't going to work. Ain't going to work. So you're going to lose your fresh water supply. Going to lose water. Yep. Emergency services are down. Yeah, we won't be able to get hold of them. Banking and financing is gone. Won't run. Uh, Banking and finance is screwed. Government services are gone. What government? Do you know how many people die after an EMP attack? Uh, yeah. Hundreds of thousands will die from this. It it will be. And you will have destroyed nothing other than the electronics. Basically, you're going back to the Stone Ages. Yes, you will go back to the Stone Ages. That's really what's going on. Hey, Natasha, uh, do me a favor. Look up one second after. It's a book on on Amazon. Post the link. um, Post it in the hard notes for the show. And post the link in the chats. One second after. It's a book about what happens after a nuclear attack, after an EMP attack. OMG, you have not, if you're a survivalist, you, the tortoise can even vouch for this. I think he listened to the book on audio. You need to have that book under your belt. Yeah. Julie posts this, but you know what? Yeah. Farmers, farmers, I don't know that they would. Yeah. Cause a lot of them use GPS equipment. Yeah, because they, they, the farm equipment they use and stuff today, you're going back to using a, a mule or oxen in a an yes. old uh, plow. Unless you have old-fashioned rotors and, and uh, points and condensers and carburetor type engine. Yeah. Now this guy, John, you got the idea. Yes. Get Learned to live Amish. like your Amish. Oh, here we go, Jimmy. Jimmy Zinker's in the house. Good morning, Mr. Zinker. What's up? Hey, buddy. Talk One to second us. after is a magnificent book. It will destroy everything you think you're ready for about an EMP. <laughs> yes, it will, won't it? <laughs> yes, it will. Well, um, I know what I'm ready for. I've read the book. <laughs> yeah. I read the book, and now I just know that I ain't ready for it. No, none of us I don't us know are. what to do, you know. Well, you're more ready than most people. You know how to fish. I know how to fish, and I know I'm a very wealthy man just on the 22 casings I'll be able to sell. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, brother. Yes, folks, if you have – go ahead. The the voltage regulator you're talking about, the non-solid state voltage regulators? Yep. For the older cars? Yep. You can buy them all day long at Napa, and they're dirt cheap. There you go. I guess I need to pick one or two up. 
that. Well, I'll let you know that, but you can also get later alternators that have the voltage regulator built into them. Yes, that will be on all those older cars. Yep. Yep. But I, now that alternator has a diode in it that I don't know if that diode would survive or not. That's that's easily replaced if you know how they're made and what to do with them. I mean, okay. it won't be as small as that, but I can still make it work with a couple of electrode connectors. See, this is one of the beauties I told my son one time. I don't know how your software works, but I can build your computer for you. I know how the hardware yeah. works. That's what I need to know. Right now, I'm useless because people just go out and buy it cheaper than they can pay me for it. But as soon as this EMP goes off, I'm going to be very in demand because <laughs> I know how to make your electricity <laughs> from nothing. <laughs> so. Yep. That, the, the case of that EMP, that book was very telling. And your biggest worry is going to be the roving gangs that will come out of the cities to pillage you. Not for me. For people like and Wade and I, dirty. it's just target practice. <laughs> but yes, one of these days we might have to do what the tortoise asked and explain how to survive in this environment. Because you're gonna have to well, get you're gonna have to get hard, people. And I mean you're gonna have to get emotionally hard real quick. That book covers that too, doesn't it, Jimmy? Yep. And one of my one of my biggest advantages that I thought I had was my car hobby because I've got three first generation Camaros. Right. That will not be affected by that. Yeah, but it makes you a target. And the book, what's the first thing the government starts seizing up? Those cars. Yep. I'll probably die right there. Yes, I understand because you're not going to let them have them. You know, I've, I've gone through the trouble of preparing myself and my family for that to that extent. And our government has gone through the trouble of doing absolutely nothing about it. And that's why it's because they think they're going to be like those roving gangs out of the cities and prey off of their citizens that did get ready for it. Yes. But now also in that environment, and, and I don't want to get us too sidetracked into this because we do need to do a complete show on this, but in that environment, the government is not as all powerful as they once were no. because the locals yep. will finally find the people like you and I, who will show them how to stop that, how to yeah. stand up to that. Yeah. Yes. Because that's when, that's when the gorilla in me becomes, you know, gorilla fighter. Oh boy. <laughs> yep. Well, that's basically what happened in that book. They were going yes. to take John Studebaker and they found out right quick. That wasn't going to work. Nope. So folks, if but in the real world, I don't know. Yes, I understand. But that book is worth it. If you're, if you're one of the ones who wants to know how, in a nutshell, if you want to know how to survive, read the book, read the book. It, it, it yeah. was written by a former military man who knows what he's talking about. And yeah. There's four or five books in that series. Now they yeah. just released the last one, like a couple months ago. I I've only read the first book. I, I don't, I'll probably never read the rest. Um, the first book's all I needed to know. If I survive through that first year, I'm good to go, man. After that, I don't yep. have a problem. Um, the first book is the informative book. The yes. other three or four are just good stories. Yes. Good follow-up. The first book is They're the fiction, part you need but to But that know. first book is the best of meat and potatoes of what you need to know. Yes. And I can't add to that. That first book will tell you everything. And folks, if, if you think we're kidding, you're going to run into some things in that book you didn't even think about. Um, well, I know as, as soon as I'm aware that that is what the problem is, that's what has happened. I've got a plan in place now where yes. we're going to go and how we're going to get there. Yep. And my, my kids that no longer live with my wife and I know to 
know, we, we, we figured out how to find each other so that they can go with us. See, that's an, that, that right there, how to get together. Yes. But yeah. like in the book, one of the things they do, folks, is the power goes out. So all these people who have these big uh, meat plant, you know, meat storage or whatever for stores, they, they have a big oh, barbecue and they feed everybody. <laughs> what they should have been doing is turning that meat into jerky real, real right real quick. Build a yep. smoker you, and smoke that insulin. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If you... If you need insulin, my wife is dead in a case like this. She's got less than six months because she needs uh, Synthroid, synthetic thyroid medicines. It won't be there. She, she, yeah. it, it won't be there. Um, folks, like I said, it up it won't keep. no, this is a dangerous threat, folks. And you haven't seen the scary part yet. I haven't showed it to you yet. I will. So, yes. You've got to be willing to shoot and kill people that are looting. Oh, dead. Yeah. Shoot them dead. Yep. Yes. Like and, I said, you're going to have to get hard you've got soon. to be able to reach that night after you do it. And if you think that the idea of an EMP is not, that is likely, folks. I, I'll be honest with you. If you, I'm a betting man. I would it bet. happen before you end this show. It could, yes. Yes, because there are people planning to do this to this country. It, they are actively planning to set off an EMP in this country. And there's some of the enemies that we're playing games with right now over in the Middle East. Iran has been yep. planning this for a while. And I'm going to oh, show yeah. you Don't just how easy it is. Plan. If an enemy is smart, that is their first strike, isn't it? Yes. Because, folks, yep. if they can successfully pull off an EMP, you're done. When they tell you surrender, you will. You will not try to nuke them in return. Because the only thing that will guarantee to survive an EMP is the submarines. That's it. That's all that's guaranteed. We don't know that the jets will fly again after that. Well, that book starts out with a, with the, the key character planning with his daughters what they're going to have for dinner, and the TV turns off. Yep. And his oldest daughter, who's in the in the bedroom with her stereo blasting, begins to gripe at him because her stereo won't play. Yep. And it ain't nothing but downhill from there. <laughs> well, let me let me show let me let you get Jimmy, and I'm going to show the audience why I'm worried about this. Okay, buddy. All right, man. Appreciate you. you. Thank you, sir. All right. If you want, you can just hang out there for a while, Charlie. Um, chime in if you want. But, folks, here's where the problem comes. I told you, it's roughly Oklahoma City. If I detonate the right size weapon at 30 miles, I take out the heartland of America. 30 miles above the land, above the, above the earth. If I do it at 120 miles, I get most of the United States. If I burst it at 300 miles, I get most of North America. Same weapon. Now, if I understand this right, EMP is not going to be all that affected by the range from the weapon to the ground, is it, Charlie? Not much. No. Nope. Is this, this so speed, distance is not going to help? Yep, speed of light. Distance is not going to help us. It's going to be the same energy. So if they set this thing off somewhere between 120 and 300 miles in the air above the earth, just over the center of the United States. We are all toast, folks. We're done. And that right there is a container system designed to launch missiles that are being built and marketed by Russia right now. And the one on the far right, that holds cruise missiles that will, that are capable of carrying a weapon big enough to do this EMP you just saw from a container. That right there is one that we build. 
That's an American system that's designed to knock out radars. Whoop-de-doo. You carry it on the back of a truck. I don't give a rip about that. That one right there is also an anti-ballistic missile and uh, intermediate-range cruise missile-type um, launcher. That's why they're a problem right there. You put them on the top of the container ship. You park that container ship in New Orleans port, and you could hit that EMP airburst in less than six minutes. And the lights go out in the United States of America. And I don't know how long it'll be before they come back on again. China and Iran are both working to do this to us. Now, China would probably launch it from the port of L.A. And it would take a little longer to get over the United States. I don't think we have anything that's going to intercept it. But this right here, this is a serious threat, folks. And I mean, real serious, you know, those missiles that Iran keeps launching that keep blow exploding at a couple hundred thousand feet in the air, a couple hundred thousand feet up in the sky, you know, 5,000 feet is a mile, right? So they're detonating them at about 20 miles to 30, 40 miles up in the air. They're, they're getting to the area where they can get half the United States. We don't know whether or not they detonated them or not. We were making jokes of them. Eh, they can't do it. What if their tests were absolutely successful? This is an Iranian cruise uh, ballistic missile, inter intermediate range ballistic missile, type of thing that they would use to strike Israel too. And it carries a warhead big enough to do this. And thanks to Obama, they probably have nukes now. That reportedly is an Iranian uh, maritime ocean-going ballistic missile, exactly what you're going to need to use on that container ship. Comment on the board from Road Dog. Millions of planes crashing all at once is a scary thought. Well, they're not millions, but thousands, yes. Yeah, not millions, but yeah. Yes, and they <laughs> would, Road Dog, they would. Everything in the air when this goes off crashes. It, maybe the military aircraft might survive because some of them are hardened, but helicopters, military helicopters might live because they are very hardened against this. But they were designed to fight in an NBC environment. But... This is a scary thing, folks. This one's not a joke. So, Charlie, you were in this, right? The military. You helped yeah. teach. This one resonates with the military here, doesn't it? The oh, EMP yeah. attack? Oh, yeah. This, <laughs> this is a problem even for the military because, you know. No can defend. There, there are some communications that have been hardened, but even with that, we don't know for certain whether the hardening is going to work. Exactly. So it's it's possible, don't know, it's possible if they did an EMP first strike, we might not be able to retaliate except with SLBMs. And right, then subs. how would they get the... the uh, uh, a lot orders. of those subs have a standing order that if there's and, and, no contact well, right. within a certain amount of time, yeah, they launch I mean, automatically yeah, at yeah, the captain's discretion. Right, but I mean, they, they, they're our traditional means of communication may not. Yeah. Be they'd be shot. They'd be gone. It, 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 all you ham radio operators. If you've got vacuum tube equipment, you rule the world. That's right. Literally. As long as you can generate the power. Yeah. Of course. Then again, you know, all you gotta do is put them on that bicycle device. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so th this one here, folks is, is th this is no, no joke. Now. Th thanks, Charlie. One other thing I wanted to show you real quick. You know how we're not supposed to be able to use nuclear power plants, right? All that wasted fuel, you know, that spent fuel that we can't get rid of. I found this in the course of doing this class. 
it says there are currently about 6,500 dry casks worth of spent fuel in the United States from nuclear power plants, with each cask roughly the size of a shipping container. All U.S. wastes total, all ever made, would fit on approximately two and a quarter container ships. Note that in 2013, about 80% of the spent fuel assemblies were kept in cooling pools. Well, we could still do that, but this is the extent of our nuclear waste, folks on those two and a quarter container ships for the whole time we've been new using nuclear fuel. You can build these cooling pools in old salt mines and we could store our spent nuclear fuel there. Everything they tell you about why we can't use nuclear power plants is based on lies. Fukushima and Chernobyl are proof. Chernobyl has grown back. Wildlife runs through that area. Yeah, in the, in the, and it's surviving, and it's not three-headed deer. Yeah, and, and the radiation levels from most of this expended fuel is minimal. not that high. I That's mean, why you put them in salt plants, yeah, salt yeah, mines. Yeah, you don't you don't need that much shielding and stuff for this stuff. And you know, yeah, some of them have some pretty long half lives, but still, yeah, it's not that big a deal. No, just put them in old spent salt mines. They found out that it's great shielding in the old mines. And the reason they don't want you using nuclear power plants is because it makes cheap, efficient electricity. The number one thing you need for independent liberty. Oh, and by the way, in the mountains of Colorado, I know for sure, and there's probably some of the Rocky Mountain areas, there's naturally occurring radiation that's at pretty high levels. Oh, yeah, because of the uranium deposits. Yeah, I used to have some radioactive rocks that were naturally occurring, and they they were pretty high. So what you get down to is, for the most part, they want you scared of, of, they want you scared of nukes, nuclear anything. They want you terrified of it because if you understood it better, now don't get me wrong. I am not telling you we want to fight a nuclear war. Millions of people will die. Tens, hundreds of millions. But the the, the latest figures right now are is, is in an exchange with Russia, we'd lose something like 64 million people in, in a modern heavy exchange with Russia. 64 million people would die to the births right now. Modern, not out of this book in the 70s. This is a modern one I found last night. The 64 million people, Joe. Yeah, it's one-fifth of the current population of this country. Or one-sixth. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, and we're going to lose about 47 million more to radiation poisoning and, and other after effects. That's 100 million people, Joe. Yeah, it's about roughly a little over, a little under a third of the, of the country. A third, one-third, one-third. A third of the men. Hmm. Yeah, there's that one third thing ringing again. But now, everybody. Oh, oh my God! One. Th- why? Why are we worried about that? Because it's the third that's going to live in the cities. What about the two thirds in flyover country that survived? Oh well, we don't care about them. Okay, that's fine. Country boy can't survive. We're going to be fine. See what I mean? This is actually. I mean, from a certain point of view. If you're conservative, a true conservative, he's like, okay, dust off and nuke them from orbit. It's going to suck for about two or three months, but we'll put things back together. You know, but the point here is Russia's not going to be hit that bad. We're going to lose a third of the population. Russia won't. Now that's, that's the immediate first month, month and a half. 
a lot of people are going to die from other effects after that. Don't get me wrong. It's, it'll be bad in the United States, not as bad in Russia. And there'll be parts of the world that the only thing that they're going to know is that, Hey man, electricity doesn't work no more. So, like I said, the, the headhunters in Papua New Guinea are just going to come boiling out of there with all sorts of food around. They're going to go crazy because there's nobody to stop them now. They know how to use bows and arrows, so they're going to reign supreme because most of us that are used to living in modern electric world, nope. Aborigines will probably join the headhunters. They'll form an alliance and decide not to eat each other and go to town, take over the world. I'm making a joke about it, but I, I think it was, um, I think it was Einstein. I don't remember. He says, I don't know how world war three will be fought, but I know world war four, world war four will be fought with sticks and stones. Talking about will be set back to caveman days. This is, this is stuff that is actually planned on by like Russia. They study how to win a nuclear war. And I, I got a little news flash for you folks. If they can sneak up to the coast of the United States without being realized, noticed, kind of like what they did back when Obama was president and launched that missile off the coast of L.A. and then told everybody it was an airplane. Um, you know, we've covered that show before. If it was an airplane, why weren't there a whole bunch of those contrails in the air? There's never just one airplane flying in the in the flight paths they up there, there's a corridors. There'd have been dozens of them, but there wasn't. There was just the one. So if you can get close to the United States with a cruise missile submarine, it's carrying at least 12 cruise missiles. You can hit strategic targets in under six minutes. And then all you have to do is pick up the phone and say, Hey, yo, Biden, bro. See what we just did to the West coast surrender now, or we'll do it to the East coast before you have a chance to say, boo. And Biden would, he'd surrender, especially since most of the people running our country right now are communist sympathizers. Anyhow, they'd be like, well, it's okay, folks. Don't worry, America. It's all be all right. We're just going to surrender. The people just nuked us because they're nice, cozy, cuddly little commies. Well, the people doing the surrendering think they're going to become kings to the Russians. They're going to be the first ones the Russians get rid of. But, you know. Joe, none of this will ever happen. You haven't been around military war gamers before, have you? How many of you know about the book by Tom Clancy, Red Storm Rising? It's a fictional World War III book. Do you know where the plot from that book comes from? It's about where they take Iceland, the, the military bases on Iceland and Greenland. The Russians invade and take it over and cause all sorts of trouble for the convoys going from America to help resupply NATO in Europe. And, and NATO almost loses the ground war. Do you know where the where the plot came from? A war game. I mean, a real miniatures, a, a, an actual miniatures war game that, you know, geek boys play. You know, kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. It came from an actual war game called Harpoon, or developed into what's known as Harpoon. And it, 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 it got the military's attention because nobody had thought about it before. Not really, not seriously. You think outside the box because so does your enemy. So why would Iran want an EMP against America? Because Iran doesn't have enough nuclear weapons to fight a nuclear war with us or even to threaten us. And they don't have the conventional means to threaten us. But if they had an EMP, they only need one. And it only has to work once. And then they've knocked out the great Satan, leaving them alone to deal with Israel. 
Now, if you think that's not a plausible scenario, what world have you been living in? You think Muslims care a whit about how many Americans, Christians, and Jews they kill? They'll be a hero in their world if they can do this. It would be a sign to them that Allah had finally come to rescue the world and save all the Muslims and turn it into utopia again. Then all they'd have left is the Jews to get rid of. By the way, did you notice that one map I showed you where I said that the, uh, the lemurs and the cannibals were going to take over the world? Did you notice the three main areas that just get obliterated? And this is, this is consistent through every one of these war game maps I've seen. The world gets beat up, but it'll survive. Europe, the United States and North America, Canada, Australia and New Zealand get wiped off the face of the earth. Why would the seven English-speaking nations in, in supposedly nominally Christian Europe be ringing in my head right now? There's no spiritual connection to that at all, is there? It's only the seed of Ephraim. Oh, that's biblical prophecy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, don't, don't pay any attention to that. We're talking about nukes, Joe. Get the Bible out of here. Hmm. Bible doesn't suggest that we might be wiped out by fire near the end of time, does it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Let me tell you something else. If you want to get apocalyptic, there's some areas I won't discuss with you. It's, uh, Charlie was an NBC training NCO. Nuclear, biological, chemical. I don't mind telling you about the nukes. You notice I've never talked to you about the other two. You know, biological and chemical. <laughs> if you think nukes are scary. <laughs> You have no idea. <laughs> None. That area there, I am surprised we have not been attacked through. But, well, we may already have no, been attacked. Have, COVID. COVID was a binary biological attack. And if you understand this type of weaponry, it, it, I know I had told you that before, too. Charlie told you the same thing not too, too many months ago. He told you, yeah, it was a biological, you know, it's a binary biological weapon. He knew that before listening to me. Anybody who's been in this area and studied it knows that that's what it was. If you want to get into the area of scary, let me, let me just explain to you. I can disable a fair size city with two 40 pound boxes of Tide powdered laundry detergent yes two 40 pound boxes you know the old dry powdered laundry detergent you used to scoop up in the 70s and 80s they still make it two 40 pound boxes of tied powdered laundry detergent how i go to the water processing plant where your fresh drinking water is and i toss them in You'll never get in there, Joe. You want to bet? You just walk in there if you want to in a lot of places. There's no security there. You just walk in and toss in the tide. Now, the only reason I'm telling you this is because it's not lethal. Not to most people. It will be to a few. And it's not intended to be lethal. You know what this is going to do to people? It's going to give you dysentery. It's going to give you the trots. Everybody's going to be on the toilet. 
that will flood my ERs and my hospitals, which will overwhelm my emergency response systems. And nobody can go to work because everybody's going to be affected. Everybody that's drinking the city water. And I didn't tell you I would kill the city. I said I would disable it. And it would work for about two to three days. Now, why would I want to do that? Well, why the city is busy taxing the sewer system? If I haven't been drinking that water, I'm free to do just about anything I want in that city. So it could be used as a precursor to something else. And if you think I'm telling you some sort of secrets, I'm not. There's a book out there called The Anarchist's Cookbook. Now, if you want to end up on an FBI list, go look for it. Just do a search for it. You'll end up on somebody's list for this. But you can find it. It's available. You can go to old used bookstores and find this thing. And it's essentially how to disrupt the world for the common man. It's called the anarchist's cookbook for a reason. And it's full of all sorts of interesting information about how to take care of things. Or then you might just be somebody who maybe once upon a time was in a government think tank about unusual ways to attack America. And you just sat around and dreamed them up. And maybe you realize that glass jars full of fleas could disable this country. Yes, I said fleas. I'm not going to give you the details on that one. I told Charlie about it earlier today. Charlie, wasn't that a happy story? Yes, but, you know, we've actually done this before. Yes, I know we did. With the fleas, even. Mm. Where do you think the idea came from? You do realize we were attacked biologically in World War II, right? By the Japanese using bats. Didn't work, but the idea could have. They just attacked the wrong part of the country. Diseased bats were dropped over the United States using balloons that flew over in the jet stream. Problem is they were dropping it in the extreme northwest parts of the United States and Canada where nobody lived. Had they managed to drop that over L.A.? Might have been a different story. The, the biological warfare is one of the oldest tricks in the book, man. They used to catapults to throw dead bodies, dead, dead and decaying bodies over the walls of, of fortresses so that, you know, the disease would get inside the fortress and kill everybody by pestilence. This stuff is easy, folks. This stuff is really easy to do. And as our intelligence community decays further, I expect we're going to start seeing some of this stuff. The problem with it is, is we could already be being hit by it. the control they have over the media. You'd never know. It would show up as some crackpot blogger telling you what's going on in some little city somewhere. And before they get shut down, because they'd be shut down. And when you saw it, you'd think he's just another conspiracy kook. He'd be telling you the truth or she, but you'd never know. You've been programmed not to listen to that. And there's already so many people out there lying about things like that. Anyhow, you got good reason to dismiss it, but you'd never know when it was happening. This is the world you live in. The fact that we still have a functioning society in this globe right now, given how many crazies are in it. And I mean, people in charge of the world. It's a miracle to me that we're still functioning. Because these people are bat crap crazy mad. 
you got folks running around insisting that I have to call a guy a girl just because he's woke up one day and decided he's female. No, dude, you're a dude. And I actually have a real world anecdotal story where I'll tell you that I work with somebody who had started the process of having the operations. Everybody in the world called him. She except me. I told him straight up. I'm never going to do that. He said, that's cool. And now he's back to being a guy again. Cause he said he was mentally nuts there for a while. And he's glad he reversed things. So Aaron spikes, this is, but, but Joe, all the Islamic people want is peace. Same with Russia and China. Yes, they are. You're right, Aaron. That's true. Peace being defined as a world without the United States. So in order to have peace, they got to get rid of us. EMP would be very effective in doing that. So while you're sitting here watching all these people talking about World War III spill over from the Middle East, it's entirely possible, yes. Especially if you throw scriptural matters into it. Because then that gives you the motive. But be careful with the world out there. The other side doesn't think like we do. The other side is still sane. And the other side knows some of the things that I shared with you today. That nuclear war is much more conceivable than you imagine, especially if it's fought correctly. And if it's a surprise attack, some of the odds are that Russia would win 70 to 80% of the, of the, of the scenarios. Yes. Now, you're a betting person, let's just assume, and I tell you there's an 80% chance that you can get rid of your worst enemy, nothing will happen to you. 80%. Well, there's a 20% I'll die. Yeah. Now, what happens one day when that enemy just pisses you off? I mean, you've just lost it. You've lost down to your last nerve. Well, four and five chance I win. Heck with it. Go for it. You think humans don't work that way? <laughs> I have a class on human nature. <sighs> all right, folks. Thank you for all, for all for being here. We love each and every one of you. We appreciate your time. Hopefully we educated you a little bit today. If you find this show or any of our shows useful, please share it with your friends and family. Just be sure to explain to them that the host is a nut job. It's the information he's presenting to you that's sane, whatever way you want to explain it. If nothing else, at least give us the thumbs up. That talks to Charlie and Natasha and I, lets us know we did a good job that day. If you do share the show, share the link directly. Just clicking it on Facebook or whatever is not necessarily going to mean it gets to anybody. They are throttling our feed or our show in there. You're other people's friends' feeds. We know that as a fact. If you can, we would appreciate it if you were to go to uh, the donut page or donate page for those who are still grown up in the room. $5 a month reoccurring donation. That's what we would ask. Please help us keep. We don't have advertisers. <laughs> Aside from the fact that nobody would advertise with us. <laughs> I don't want to have to answer to anybody. I want to be able to talk to you about anything I want, any way I want. And if you're finding us valuable enough to tune into, you're going to want to do that. Otherwise, sooner or later, we'd be gone, gone. Because I've run out of money to keep the show on the air. Other than that, tomorrow is Worship Wednesday. We're going to be talking about the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. 
Thursday, I think the pre-show probably decided that we're just going to talk about ghosts and poltergeists and all sorts of things that go bump in the night. So that'll be another interesting conversation. <laughs> Get your favorite ghost story ready to go. Friday, I got no idea. I, I have no idea. Applied logic, if nothing else comes up. We'll figure it out. Y'all stay safe. Take care. We'll see you here tomorrow. Same time, same channel, same bat station, all that other mess. Later. Bye. See you.